Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Glad you're with us, whether you've been here before, uh, never been to church before, we want to welcome you. I hope if you've never been here before, uh, that you walked in here today feeling like family, like you just feel at at home. Uh, I've been in church my entire life. And I still, when I go to a new church, um, if I'm on vacation, I get nervous about how I'm going to feel. And I judge a church based on how comfortable that I feel from the moment that I get there. So I hope that you've been able, even if you don't even know what's going on, you've been able to come into this place, take a deep breath and relax and uh, just, just hopefully enjoy what's going on. If you've never been here before, you're like, how long is this going to last? It's going to last for 34 minutes, okay? 34 minutes, 15 seconds, if I listen to my clock. I usually don't. But I'll be done some point in the next 40 minutes. Just so, just because when I'm new somewhere, I want to know how long something is going to last. And so when the piano starts playing, that means we're almost done. You guys track it with me? Okay, come on. You got to do better than that. And so I need, I need you with me, okay? It's the last one. I'm getting older. I need, we, need, we need to be together in this. And so uh, we, we in the middle of a sermon series last week that we started uh, A-OK. I told you where it came from. I said it came. I was at a Phillies game, heard, heard, heard Bryson walk out heard his music, heard the stadium, and it, something in my spirit just connected to the hope that was found in, in, in the song through people's attitude. It completely changes. And so I just know our world desperately needs real hope. I know that. And I know that as Christians, the Bible says that we have, you can read it, it's in, it's in your notes, we have a living hope that's found in Christ. We have this hope living inside of us. It's breathing it's alive, it's active. We are supposed to bring hope to this world. So what I, what I know is if we're not living in that hope, we're not gonna do a good job of bringing the hope to, to the world. And so I wanna establish uh, some hope in our lives. I wanna, I wanna build that. And so last week we, we started, I said, here's the four A's of being okay. Here's how you can be okay in your life in every situation. And so I taught them to you, now I wanna unpack them. First one, God is our adopter. Second one, God's our author. Third one, God is my advocate. Fourth one, God is, is my ally. You get all those right, you're going to have a whole lot of hope in your life. You're going to have joy. You're going to have peace. You're going to be comforted. You're going to be okay. You're not going to be anxious a lot. You're going to know God's in control. And so today, I want to start with maybe the foundational truth of the whole series. God is my adopter. God is my adopter. Now, uh, I don't know if you know somebody who's been adopted. I, most of us do. In fact, uh, in first service, I preached a me- this message in two of my friends that have been coming here for some time that we know uh, through sports and stuff like that came and said, hey, that message resonated with me today because both me and my, my, my husband were both adopted. He was adopted when he was a, a baby. I was adopted when I was 10, which by the way, getting adopted when you're 10, that's profound. right? You, you, people who adopt babies, it's like they're cute, I'll take them right? A 10-year-old's not cute anymore. <laughs> you adopt somebody who's 10, 
You're adopting their family situation. They've talked to psychologists. They've been through counseling. You're, you're adopting a situation. There's a profound level of, of, uh, of love and commitment that goes into adopting. I, I had one friend growing up who was adopted. He was from the country, I think it was Ecuador, uh, Guatemala, one of those countries. I don't remember the exact country. It was somewhere down in South America. I know that. And uh, he got adopted at a young age. We met when I was probably seven years old. He was probably nine years old. And we were friends until my early 20s, and then we kind of lost touch. And uh, I had a front row seat to what what adoption, the impact that it has on somebody. He was born in another country, um, didn't have parents. I don't know his history, but I did know that the country he was in was a, a, a country that was was in poverty. It wasn't, the likelihood of him being successful and him accomplishing a lot in his life was very low, right? And so when, when he got adopted and brought into, into the United States, he got adopted by one of the wealthiest businessmen in the area that I lived. And so his life changed. I know money's not everything, but when I was a kid, it was everything, right? And so like I was a kid, I would hang out with him, and he, he got adopted. He had a big pool at his house. He used to change colors at nighttime. He had a pool table in his basement. He, I, I slept on a, on a small bed my whole life until I got married, right? And so that's like third world country stuff right there. And so my kids sleep on a queen-size bed right now. Like like, and so even in college, I was sleeping on bunk beds, right? And so uh, he, he, I went to his room. He had a big bed. He had a bathroom in his bed. He had he had nice house. He, he, he had goat carts. He had horses. Like he, 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 he lived in an extreme like success of this, this, this person's house. He had a beach house. You need to get yourself a friend that has a beach house. I tell all of my friends, all of my kids, right? We're never going to have a beach house, but there's a lot of people in Phoenix that have a beach house. Just become friends with them, right? And if they want it, new friends, adult friends, they can invite me too, right? I will go with them. And so he had a beach house. He used to go to Rehoboth. His dad, now I was impressed when I was a kid. It's not that impressive now that I got older. He used to drive a cherry red Jeep Grand Cherokee. It was amazing. And so, like, it, okay. And so, <laughs> less impressed. It was nice then. Like, he had leather interior. Like, my mom and dad drove Tauruses when I was a kid. Four Tauruses. We had three of them. And so, right? Your pastor, Maroon Ford Taurus is what he drove. And so, um, and so he just had a lot. And I just saw the impact of, of adoption in somebody's life, the, the opportunities that, that he had. And so I, when I think of adoption, that's what I think. And so I want to unpack why the Bible says that you are adopted by God. And what I want to do is I want to land in, in the book of Romans chapter 8. And so if you're not a Bible person, I want to just explain the Bible to you for a second, because if you're not, and you know anything about religion, you've heard, like, I don't know if you ever heard of John Smith, he invented Mormonism, you guys ever hear Mormonism? He wrote a book in a cave, he had all these prophecies, wrote them down, lost them, had to rewrite them again, and then he gave it to, to the Mormon religion, and they do all sorts of Mormony things now, and so... Uh, Sometimes you can look at a, the Bible and go, that must be the way we got it. Somebody wrote it in a cave somewhere, gave it to us, they've changed it. That's not how the Bible got here. The Bible is, is um, a book written over 1,600 years. That's how long it took to complete the Bible. It's not one book. It's uh, 66 separate books. Um, and it has two parts, the Old Testament uh, that's the, the beginning. Genesis is where it begins. That's 39 books. Then there's a 500-year silence. No books waiting for Jesus to come. Jesus comes to the earth. Um, they've heard about Jesus through scripture. He fulfills prophecies. You have the 27 New Testament books in, in the New Testament, ended with Revelation, which if you want to be scared, you read that, okay? And so don't read it today. And so, right, we're doing good. And so 
I want to read to you out of the book of Romans. And so in the New Testament, one of the letters is called Romans. It was written to the church of Rome by a man named Paul. His original name was Saul. And uh, his background, just so you know, his background was he started off hating Jesus and he was responsible for the first murder of a Christian after Jesus went back to heaven. First one. So he, hate, he hates Jesus, right? Then he goes on to have his life changed by Jesus. And if you read the New Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament, um, 30% of the books that are written in the New Testament written by Paul, the ex-murderer. The Bible just changed for some of you. You're like, I'm going to read it now, right? I thought it was written by a weird dude in a cave somewhere. And so when he writes this chapter, Romans chapter 8, which by the way, many people think is the greatest chapter in the Bible. In fact, I'm going to give you some homework. I hate homework. And so, but I'm going to give you some homework. Here's the homework I'm going to give you. For the next seven days, only focus on Romans chapter 8 in your Bible, in your quiet time. Like when you you get up in the morning, just read through the book of Romans chapter 8. It's all about the profound love of God written from a guy who murdered Christians and hated Jesus and had his life radically changed by the grace of God. Focus on Romans chapter 8. And in the middle of Romans chapter 8, it shares this idea of adoption that is so profound it will change your life forever if you allow it. Romans chapter 8 verse number 14 starts like this. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of, of God. Now, I want to make sure you understand this because in our culture you hear things, they sound right, but they're not, right? And so you'll hear people say like something like this. They'll say, we are all children of God. You ever hear that? We're all. You're born you're born a child of God, right? We're all children of God. And the, and the truth is, we are all creations of God. No, no one here is an accident. No one here just randomly showed up. No, no, no one here is a result of a one-night stand, and that's it. And like, I was a, as a result of that. I don't know my parents yet, but there was a God who was involved before the foundations of the world in your life. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You don't work, you're not worthless. Like, there's a God that loves you and has a good plan for your life, and you are his creation, but he desires for you to be in his family through his sacrifice that he sent through his son Jesus Christ he he wants you to be in his family and so through Jesus you are adopted into the family of God but here's what here's what's important if you are a child of God what does that make God you're what your father this is important what you think about God when you think about God might be one of the most important factors in the future of your life What you think about when I say God is really important. Here's the problem with so many of us. When we think about our Father, we don't think good thoughts. When I say God's your Father, you go, well, my Father is absent. My Father um, was abusive. My Father was angry. My Father was a drunk. My Father was irritable. My, My Father was lazy. My Father was passive. My Father was weak. And so we, we, we tend to project our thoughts of God based on the reflection of, of our earthly fathers. But the Bible says that God is a perfect father. I mean, think about it. In, in this book, so I've been reading, reading this book, so we're going to do this book. Uh, remember I told you last week I got like 17 books I'm reading? Here's one of them. I want to celebrate myself today, if I can, for a second. I'm on page 49 after three months in this book. Yes, sir. It's proved in my highlighting. If you highlight it, it means you read it. 
So I'm reading through this book. If you go to home group, whether you go to a teen group, you go to a, an adult group, you go to a singles group, you go to an old person's group, whatever they call them now. And so we're going to be going through this book. I'm telling you right now, you want to be in a group. You got a teenager, they need this, they need this message. See, seeing God as a perfect heavenly father. In fact, um, in the gospel, so I explained the Bible, 27 books of the New Testament, the first four books of the New Testament are called the gospels, the story of the good news of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. First-hand account of the life of Jesus. In those books alone, the, this book tells me, and I didn't verify it, but I'm just trusting the source, that in the first four gospels, 189 times God is referred to as Father. It's like he wants us to understand this about him. See, your perception is, is really important. It'll change your life. Like a lot, a lot of people in the book, he talks about our different perception of God. Some of us have what he calls the perception of a grandpa God. You know, you know when you think about an older person, kind of slow, can't figure out technology, right? Outdated, hard of hearing. We think about, that's how we think about God. We live in this world, it's changing. We're like, yeah, God's so outdated now. He's, he's like, you know, he's... It's nice, he's like there, but he's like the grandpa God. He's, he's outdated. Some of us, he, we think of God, we think of scorekeeper God. He's, he's, out, he's out to get us. Keeping score, giving us a list of do's and don'ts. Here's, here's what you have. Some of us look and we, God's angry. He's just, out, he's just out there. He wants to punish us. I, I love these people. They got the buddy God. You know what I'm talking about? It's not new. A, year, a few years ago, it was popular to wear a shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. Remember those shirts? He's my buddy. He's not holy and righteous and good. He doesn't send people to hell. He is my buddy God. It, my favorite God is my, what I call me God. We all struggle with that. If God would do God like I think he should do God, he'd be better at being God. And the way he should do God is based on what I think he should do. Or my favorite, if you're from this area, what I call the shady maple God. You just pick and choose what you want. My buddy today, he's grandpa tomorrow, he's outdated. Like he, he, he is a perfect heavenly father. And if you get this, it will change your life. Your perception of God changes everything. I'll give you, I'm a pastor's son. You guys know, I, my dad was a pastor of the same church for 38 years. I spent more time at the church than I spent at my house. I remember when I was a young, young, young boy, we had a little church in Boyertown, Pennsylvania, right? Google that. And so some of you are like, where's Boyertown, right? And so Boyertown, Pennsylvania. And uh, we had a church there. We lived at the church. Our house was connected to the church. And so the church was here. You walked outside the church, up steps. That was our apartment. Underneath us was Sunday school classes. Across the hall in our garage was the youth room. Everything in that area was like my house. And I remember on Sunday mornings, I used to get in trouble all the time. I didn't respect the tabernacle. That's what old people call this room, tabernacle, right? We call this a warehouse with black seats, right? But in the old time, it's a tabernacle. And I'd be in there and running around, and we don't run in God's house, right? Should have told the Pentecostals that 10 years later. We don't run in God's house. We don't jump on the pews in God's house. We don't do that in God's house. And old people would always be yelling at me. And I always would want to tell them, listen, we might not do that on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, I'm in here under these pews. I see, I know, I can tell you, I can jump six pews without touching one. They'd be yelling at me out. You're, you're, up, on, you're up on the front and, and God's stage and the pulpit and this is holy. I'm like, that was home base yesterday for kickball. <laughs> My kid's the same way. 
Like I used to get mad, be like, why do people yell at me? And now I had kids and I'm like, I get it. They treat this place like it's a common place, right? I'll go home. My kids will have 75 pieces of little gum we give to our volunteers. So your breath smells good in the room. I'll say, where'd you get that from? I got that from my church. I was like, that's stealing from the house of the Lord, right? And they had this, this, this perception it, because of their father, their perception of this place is different. Same with, same with me. And so when you, get, when you get this, when you understand God's your heavenly father, your perception will change. So he reminds us, if you keep reading in Romans chapter 8, he reminds us of this in verse number 15. He says, let me remind you then, the spirit that you receive does not make you slaves. Why? Why is that important? Because um, what's comparable to slavery is religion. You become a religious person. Slaves do what they're told. They only do it when, 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 when their masters are watching. They, 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 they only do it because they have to do it. They, they, think, about, think about the context of that in church. Like you, you're here because you have to be here. You sing because you're supposed to sing, you're supposed to make a joyful noise, right? Somebody needs to remind your face. You attend church twice a month because you just want to keep the big guy off your shoulders, right? You serve every once in a while because the Bible says to serve, so I'm going to serve, right? And give God a couple bucks. And you have this, like, let me just tell you, the world does not need any more religious people. We've already screwed it up enough. You don't need any more of your religion where you're pious and self-righteous and you do what you're supposed to do when everybody's watching, but you act worse than everybody else when nobody's watching. He says, listen, the spirit God gives you doesn't make you a slave so that you live in fear again, which fear is an awful motivator to follow Jesus. We've tried that before. We're going to scare the hell out of you today. And you change for a couple days, then you go back to your old way of life because fear doesn't change us. He says, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. I want to talk about this in a second. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are his children, then we're, I love this part, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. When you understand, when this changes your perception, you'll see a whole new position that you have as a child of God. So let me just give you a few thoughts, three thoughts. Number one, your position, first of all, as an adopted son. Now, let me just break this down for you because some of you are like, well, I'm a girl. So how does that relate? I can't, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl, right? And so how does that relate contextually to me? Why does it say, that? I, why doesn't it say we're adopted sons and we're adopted daughters? So let me just break this down to you without offending you, okay? And so back then, nobody cared about girls. Back then, Jesus did. Like when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, and when Jesus allowed the woman with an issue of blood to touch him, and when Jesus stepped in when that woman was uh, committing adultery and they were going to try to stone her, and he stepped in and he called her a daughter of Abraham, Jesus was literally changing culture. But up to that point, you did not get excited when you had a girl. In fact, the only got job when you had a girl, the only job you want to do is raise them so they were old enough so another man would bring his son over and say, let's trade out three cows for her. Don't get mad at me. We live in a different time now, thank God. I'll tell you right up here, right? My wife is smarter than me, better than me, wiser than me. 
Thank God she's better looking than me. If she wasn't here, this church would not be here, right? And you know if you have a good wife, you say the exact same thing, right? We're not saying, get back in the kitchen, make us a sandwich, right? We never say that. But this is the culture that you lived in. If you were a girl, you had no hope. Nobody wanted to adopt you, right? You're, you're, nobody wanted to take you on. A lot of times you were just kind of there and, okay, we're going to get you married and push you on. But when you had a son, it was a big deal. Especially if you were the firstborn son, which, by the way, the Bible calls Jesus the firstborn of all creation. When you were a son that was first, you got everything from your dad. Right? Like, if, if you're, if you, me, I, I have a brother. I wish they would bring this tradition back, right? And so when my mom and dad pass, pass away someday, whatever they have left, I, I would get the majority of it. He would get a little bit of it. But if you asked me, it makes sense because little siblings are a pain in the butt. Let's just be honest. So it makes sense. You had, and your parents, if you're an older child, who are they hardest on? Come on, if you're an older child. You, you've been to a counselor to talk about this, right? They are always hardest. My, my oldest son will tell you the same thing. You're so hard on me, right? And, and, and he's probably right, right? By the third one, you give up. You just do whatever you want, right? <laughs> and so when the Bible says that you're adopted as a, as a son, you're adopted to sonship, it, it, it's establishing something really significant in, in, in your life. You are adopted as a son of God. You are an heir. And so I want to I teach you this because I started thinking about this. And I think spiritually... We have more of what I would call a foster mindset with God than we do an adoptive mindset. Now, this is not a, a dig on fo the fostering system. I know people who have fostered kids, physically on this side of, of impacted kids. I, I get all that. But there is some elements of, of fostering that if you apply it spiritually to your life, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a deficit to you. It's going to hurt you. So I want to explain the difference between fostering, a fostering spirit, and an adoptive spirit so you can understand how profound this is. First thing is this, is a foster child constantly lives under the pressure of possibly, maybe, I don't know if I'm wanted, an adopted child is chosen. You, you're passed around. I, I remember uh, I've seen stories of foster kids where they leave. They just kind of have a bag of, 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 of stuff in a trash bag, and they just kind of go from house to house. How long are you here? I'm here for a couple months. Maybe I'm going to go home to my parents if they get their act you know, if it, together. Maybe I'm going to another house. Are, are, do you have a bed? No, this is kind of a bed that's been shared. I got this bed here. It's, it's, on, it's on rental, right? When you're a foster kid, if you can, if spiritually, it, it impacts you because it feels like you don't really know if you're ever wanted. So if you apply that to God, that's going to be negative. I'm not sure if God wants me. I'm not sure if I'm needed. I don't sure if I'm supposed to be here. I'm not sure if he loves me. I'm not sure. But if God adopts you into his family, the implications are that he is choosing you, which everybody wants to be chosen. From a very early age, I wanted to know that I was wanted and chosen. I remember being 13 years old. I was at Boyertown Junior High East, and I just wanted some click to want me, right? So I remember early on, everybody was listening to the Grateful Dead. It's Boyertown, wearing, wearing a tie-dye shirt, sandals. I went out and got all that stuff. I put psychedelic posters in my room. I started listening to the you know, Grateful Dead and the Steve Miller Band. And I wanted to, somebody to take me. And then they didn't take me. And then Criss Cross came out. You remember Criss Cross? All of a sudden, I'm going again, big jeans, wearing them backwards, right? I'm trying to braid my hair, right? And, so, and I'm listening to Criss Cross and make you want to jump, jump, right? Would you guys take me? 
And they didn't take me, so I went all the way back to the other side. Started listening to, uh, I remember, Oasis and, and, uh, and, and, and all those bands. Nickelback, remember Nickelback? And, like, <laughs> and, we just, and, and you just want somebody to want you. And we still struggle with this. I'll, I'll do whatever you want. Do you want me? Are you, and the implications of that are you're constantly running. It's, you'll never know if it's enough. You're kind of chasing your, your tail. When you're adopted... You are spiritually sitting in the, in the proof through God's son and his sacrifice that God chose you. A foster child is in a temporary arrangement. An adoption is a permanent promise. Here's the problem. We use the word adoption in our culture, but really it's fostering. It's a temporary arrangement oftentimes, right? I'm going to bring you in for a little bit. We'll see how this works out. Adoption, you get what you get and you don't throw fit. You can't take them back. In that culture, when you adopted somebody, you adopted them for life. I remember this happening in my house a few years back. I was, I was in my early 20s. I lived in a house in Oklahoma. It was so long ago, some of you will not even remember this. My TV was a tube TV. Remember that? It was a 32-inch tube TV. I was living luxury in my house. It was a Saturday. I was laying in front of the TV. Leah was not at the house. I was watching college football. I had no kids, no responsibilities. I was so stressed from the week that I had, right? You remember how that was like that? I was watching. I had a blanket on. I was enjoying my, my day watching TV. And I heard the door swing open. And my wife from the door said, go beat daddy. And I turned around. This little rat dog was running at me. <laughs> right? And I literally tried to touch me. I was like, get away. And I was like, what is this? Here's what she said. She said, we adopted this. I said, what do you mean we adopted this? I was driving by PetSmart, and they were having adoption day, and we adopted this, and I, I looked at the dog. You ever look at something, and you know, if it's this ugly when it's a baby, this thing is going to be unbearable as an adult. So that adopted dog lasted three days in our house. I conned all me. You should have seen it. I conned, I conned a, a, a fellow parishioner of my church. I conned them into taking this dog, and I just need you to understand my thoughts were confirmed. A year later, they brought that dog into my house, and I wouldn't even let that thing touch me. They're like, say, I'm like, I'm not even touching this thing. This is the ugliest dog I've ever seen in my life. Don't awe me. You should have saw it. Right? And so I adopted it, right? So, you know dog people are like, you're so mean, right? Dogs go to heaven. All right, read your Bible. And so read your Bible. Bring it back down, right? This is not Seattle, right? And so, right? And so they have more dogs in Seattle than they do babies. That's just another thing. And so, so we adopted this dog, but really we took it for a test drive. And the test drive said, return to sender. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so this is how we look at adoption a lot of times. So I don't take you in and see, like, but with God, he, he, he looks at us and he goes, you are ugly. You do got problems. You do got issues. And I'm going to take you just as you are. Like I had this thought, actually, I haven't started this in any, any of my sermons because I'm always on a time thing and I'm, I'm bringing this in for a landing. But uh, that whole thing happened this week with the guy who escaped prison. You guys probably heard of that unless you were living in Iraq. And so, and uh, they caught him and they took this picture with him. You guys remember that? And some people were mad and some people were like, that's what they do in Texas. And so... And a lot of people are like, he got what he deserved. He murdered his girlfriend. He murdered somebody in Brazil. He got what he deserved. He got justice, right? And uh, I read a, read, a, read a news story. We were very involved in it. He was right around our house. And so 
I read a news story about, from his mom talking about his life and where he'd been and what he had been through, and it made him human. And so you have this, these human emotions towards this guy who's getting justice and what he deserves. But I, I had this vision, like, so he was around all those people. He had been on the run for 14 days, and he's around all those people, and he's getting what he deserves. But could you imagine if Ad they took that picture, he was all bloody, if somebody stepped in and said, I'm going to take his place, let him go free. You'd be like, that's not justice. You're right. That's grace. That's what you and me got from God. I, I, and it, it stayed with me because we're all like, he needs justice. And he, you're right on this side of eternity, but he is still a, ch- a creation of God that has the opportunity, even in what he did, to become a child of God. Like, that's what God does for us. He steps into our life through his son, Jesus Christ. We're disgusting. We're on the run. You got a whole bunch of Satan demons around us accusing us of all these things we've done. We are guilty, and God steps into our life and says, I'll pay the price in full. That's what happens when you get adopted into the family of God. No questions asked with all of your dirt and all of your shame and all of your mistakes and all of your family problems and all of your regret. He takes you as you are. He doesn't leave you that way, but he's going to take you as you are. You're adopted as a son of God. The Bible says you were bought at a high price. I love that. Let me just give you two more. I, I want to bring this in for a landing. Number two, um, understanding you're adopted as a son of God. You're positioned close enough to cry out. This is really important. Abba, Father. He's not just Father. He's Abba, Father. Now, this would have been hard for people to even understand. Because in their culture, um, God's holiness was revered. So before, before Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins... God's presence was separate. You can study this in scripture. Separated from mankind um, in the temple, they couldn't even be in God's presence. He, he, was, he was so holy and so righteous that only one time a year they were allowed to go into the holy of holies and make an atoning sacrifice, right, in God's presence. They were so terrified of being in God's presence that when they sent that, that, that high priest in there to make the presence, they would tie something around his foot in case he died. So they didn't have to go in and get him so they could pull him out. This, this, is, this is true stuff. They had this big veil that used to separate God's presence from, from man. And so they had this revering attitude towards God. God was far away. God was angry. God needed to be paid off. God doesn't want to be around you. We're annoying to God. And so when Paul says you get adopted into the family of God as a son, and in that spirit, you can refer to God as not only father, as Abba Father, because here's the thing about it. Everybody in this room has a father, right? Put your hand up if you have a father. Okay, okay, everybody does. Thank you, right? First service, they did not agree with me. I was like, a boy and a girl, and you came, right? We're not that far removed from reality that we think that that's not how it works now, right? It takes a boy and it takes a girl. And so, it, boy and girl, make, make it. And so everybody has, I'm not saying you had, you, he was around, he could have been a one-night stand. He could have left you. He could have got a divorce, had an affair on your mom. He could be an awful person. He could be there but not there. Like everybody has a father. But here's the thing. But not everybody had what I would call a daddy. 
So when, when, the, when the Bible uses this, this is hard for us because he's not saying he's just a father. He's saying he's a Abba father within that, in that culture would be the way that young Jewish boys would refer and girls would refer to their dad. They would call their dad Abba. Abba, it was, a, it was a term of endearment. It was a term that meant you were ridiculously familiar. It was often a term that you would use before the world would ruin your relationship with your father. You know what I'm talking about? Like when your kids get older, um, they don't call you daddy anymore. That'd be weird. I don't got a 16 on you. He's like, hey, daddy. I'd be like, bro, you got to stop. It's embarrassing, right? But, I, but my nine-year-old, even though he doesn't call me that ever anymore, which is kind of sad to me, He's still of the age where he has that, that, that mentality that I'm still his dad, daddy. Like, you, you've been long enough with the older ones. They start to know people. They know when you're in a bad mood. They know when you're not approachable. They, they know when you're, you're worn out. They know sometimes to stay away from you. Sometimes you can even feel it. If you're, if you're, if you're a, 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 an older person, you walk into the room and they get up and leave. They don't want to have a conversation about anything. Right? When they're young, though, what do they do? They wouldn't leave you alone. You were their daddy. They just, they, like, they just assumed you wanted to be around them. Remember that? Like, it's still, it's still like that with, with Harrison. Like yesterday, so we're having a teen group at, at my house. And so um, we're getting ready for that. My wife's like, hey, we got we to gotta power wash. We got to, you know, do some stuff on the deck. And I'm like, they're teenagers, right? We got to get pizza. That's it. And so she's like, no, it needs to look nice. Can you go get some mums? <laughs> so, so she said, go get mums. I, I said, what color do you want? She said, purple. I brought home purple mums, not the right purple. She didn't even know they made those purple mums. I said, you're welcome, right? And so, so I was getting mums. I was tired. I was kind of grumpy. I didn't really want to be talked to. I didn't want to bother. I want to finish this. You know, if you're a guy, you get on a mission, you want to do it, I'm pressure washing. And so I'm like a little bit into my, my job. I got hours of work, and my youngest son comes bounding out of the house. He has shorts on, and I'm pretty sure he's worn them 17 days in a row. He, he has two different shoes on. He has one croc and one slide. How do you make Crocs worse? You wear one. <laughs> right? And he has this t-shirt. And he comes running out. His hair is not done. He comes running out. He has a ball. He's flicking it around. He's like, you want to throw? And I'm like, what? He's like, let's throw. And I was like, I'm in the middle of doing something right now. Come back later. You ever do that to your kids? Then the Spirit of God checks me. Right? Is that what I would do? Well, I told you, God, I, sometimes I think I can do better than you, right? And so, and so I was like, I put it down, and we threw. And he just, he, did, he wasn't like, oh, Dad's probably tired, and he's probably worn out. And I probably, we threw, we threw for like, I, I was like, we'll throw for seven minutes. That's the perfect number of God. We'll throw for seven minutes. And we threw, and I was like, I can get back to work. It was like an hour later. What do you think? He comes running back out. Still has two different shoes on. He goes, throw again. And he just, he just has this, this, this attitude still because I'm still that familiar dad to him that you just want to be around me. Like, even this, you ever have a, a, a time in your life when your kids mess up, but they're so innocent that they don't even care that they messed up? Like, they come up, and they, I remember they were, when they were little, it was just, just innocence. They would just come up, and I would really want to discipline them and all that stuff. And Harrison, specifically, because he's my youngest, I could still hear his voice, and he would go, I'll be, he would go, sorry. And then he'd just give you this big, open mouth, wet kiss. Yeah, right? You just see it coming, have rich crackers all over his mouth, right? And he just, and as soon as, it was just, it was just over. Or like, you think about when you have a dad, like when you have a true relationship with the dad, like how everything that your dad has is yours. 
Like your, your bed, remember when you're, I mean, my kids, they're kind of old now, but there was a time my bed was their trampoline. They ruined every white comforter that I had. We went through a white comforter every three months. They would come in with their feet all nasty, had their feet all over the pillow I was about to sleep on. What, what's your car to your kids? Your trash can. They, 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 they just leave stuff in every nook and cranny. Your food in your refrigerator, they don't even ask you to eat it. Right? You ever get a drink and it evaporates quickly in your house? You set it out, you come back to get it. Your drink is their drink. Everything you have is theirs. Why? Because they have this relationship where they see you as a daddy, not just a, a, a father. And like, this is what he's trying to, to tell us spiritually. Not only are you an adopted son into the family of God, but when you have that relationship, you can cry out, Abba, Father. It's a familiar term that says, God is close to me. He's not far from me. In fact, I love what this says in Zephaniah, which is one of those books you probably don't read that much. But I love the concept of Zephaniah 3. It says, the Lord your God is with you, a mighty warrior who saves he will take great delight in his love. He will no longer rebuke you. I love this part, though. But he will rejoice over you with singing. I don't even know what that looks like, but that's cool. God sings over me. God's my Abba Father. I'm adopted as a son into his family. Here's number three, just one more thought. Because of those things, the Bible says that you're positioned as a co-heir with Christ. You're, you're a co-heir with, with, with Christ. I, uh, I had this experience uh, last Saturday. I went to a, a football game. Phoenix was playing football on Saturday in Chester. You ever been to Chester? Sometimes I'm amazed at how different America is, but you're still so close. Like it's not, it's not like I went to Arkansas. You know what I'm saying? I see you over here, right? Like, there's times you're down south where you're like, yeah, it's different. But you're 20 miles away or 20 hours away. Like, I'm, I'm just less than an hour away from where I grow up. And, and I'm not acting like Phoenixville is like this amazing metropolis of wealth. But it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a blessed place to live. And so, but I drove to Chester. And as you're driving, you start noticing your surroundings. And uh, you, see, you see businesses closed everywhere. You see trash everywhere. Um, the school's very, very run down. You... Uh, Pull up to the football field, the, the, no lie, the goalposts look like they, on the goalposts on Charlie Brown, you know what I'm talking about? The field is grass, but it's, there's not a lot of grass there, like it's a different world. And I had this thought, like if you were born here, man, this is kind of, it's kind of, it kind of sucks. It's, it's the, 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 the stacks, or the cars are stacked up against you, you like that, that's reality. Like you, you can be born in certain places and by your family, by, by your family, the, the stats. It's America, and I know you can make something out of nothing because this is a great country, but we also got to be realistic. Sometimes people get a, get a massive head start in life, and there's, if you go there, you'll realize that. And what was weird is I went there, and then uh, they, they, I, I was informed when I went there, um, bring money. They have the best food of any snack bar you're ever going to be at. And so, so I did, but the game was, 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 was so good, we never really made it over to the snack bar, but I smelled it the whole time. So when we were leaving, I was like, hey, we don't have time to eat here. They closed the snack bar. We got to go to Mission Barbecue. And so we got in our car, put in the GPS, Mission Barbecue, and we began to, to drive. But it didn't take us back the same way down 476. It took us a bunch of back roads, which was um, places I'd never been. And so I, uh, I, I went along the, the, the road and uh, the roads. And as I was driving, it took me through Radnor. You ever been to Radnor? Radnor's a different world. 
It was weird, too, because uh, I, it wasn't like you drove for a while. It was like 10 minutes. It was like you just, before you knew it, you crossed over, and there was houses. I never, like, I'm like, are we in heaven? <laughs> Is that what my mansion's going to look like? God, I'll, I just want to, I'm going to put this on my Pinterest board for heaven. That's what I want you to look like, right? Went past Radnor High School, right? You went to Chester, went past Chester, and you went to Radnor. I was like, see their facilities, right? Their, their turf everywhere. Just keep driving. And you just, you see this, like this different level of life that you're afforded by just a few moments. Like you have a different inheritance. And so this, this is important. Like this, this concept is important. When you understand who you are in Christ, right? And you see yourself as an adopted son in the family of God, and you know God is close to you, he wants you in a relationship, then you begin to understand the concept of also with that, you are a co-heir with Christ. Everything that he earned through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, everything is also yours. That's mind-blowing to me. So like Jesus earned the place of authority in heaven. He sits at the right hand of God. Like that's, 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 that's your position. The Bible says the same power that conquered the grave, that Jesus used to conquer the grave, through him lives in you. That's your power. Like I had people tell me, like, I'm really worried about this person. How do I help them? You know what I tell people now? You don't. Only Jesus can. Because if they get Jesus in their life, the same power that conquered the grave is going to live inside of them. Right? You, you get everything that Jesus had. When I was in college, uh, I... I I went to a little Bible college called Southwestern University, and every building had a name on it, like some of your colleges, uh, people's names. I lived in Davis Dorm, which was like a third world country dorm. It was built in the 60s as a temporary lodging, and they never tore it down. And so I'm not sure what Mr. Davis did wrong, but they put his name on that building, right? And so, so I got a lot of good memories there. In my time there at college, they built this, they built this massive, this math, massive structure called the Schaefer Life Center. So big biggest building on the campus. The Schaefer Life Center housed the chapel, right? It had the gym and all the, the locker rooms and the gym and the workout stuff and had the most important part of the campus, cafeteria. Had classrooms all through it. It was an amazing structure. And I spent the majority of my college life in that building, mainly at the gym in the cafeteria. And so, uh, and I remember when they, when they did the ribbon cutting for this thing, they opened it my second year of college. They uh, did this big ribbon cutting. They invited all the, 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 the college students out. We're all out. And this bus pulls up. It looked like a rock star bus, right? And so I was working at Spaghetti Warehouse at the time. So the closest I can compare it to is when I was at Spaghetti Warehouse working in Dallas, Texas, NSYNC showed up across from us was Planet Hollywood. And they showed up in the midst of 4,000 screaming teenage girls and got out of the bus. It was that, right? And so it was the same as that, but there was no screaming. And so this bus pulls up and uh, this door opens up and this dude gets out. He's probably in his mid-60s. He gets out. He is decked out in a three-piece suit. He has, he has transition glasses, like big Texas hair. This dude is, is, is it, right? Like he steps down. That's Mr. Schaefer. I said, what did this dude do? How did he get so much money? What, what, did he, what did he do to do this? How did he get his name on this building, right? They said, oh, here's the, here's the, the urban legend. We don't know if it was true or not. Um, but he, he was a pastor of a church in Oklahoma City. And when he started in the church, there was 25 people there. They couldn't pay him. Nobody wanted to go to work for free. 
And so he got to that church. He was a young pastor. He said, listen, I'll come take the job. Um, but in my contract, from this point forward, for how long I stay at this church, my payment is going to be 10% of the tithe. Whatever comes in, 10% is going to go to me. So for years, that was a couple hundred bucks. He worked two, two jobs, three jobs. But the church started to grow. By the time I was in college, that church had 5,000 people in it. So 10% of that offering is a lot of money. He then took that money, he invested it into oil because it was Oklahoma, and he became an extremely wealthy pastor businessman. And uh, the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. And so he began to give hundreds of thousands of dollars away, specifically to the university where he graduated. So they put his name on the building, Schaefer Family Life Center. Uh, a year later, his grandkid showed up. And uh, I'd like to say I liked him, but I didn't. He walked around in Armani and uh, Gucci and Abercrombie and Fitch. It was expensive at that time. I could only afford Hollister and American Eagle. He had a nice car. I remember he had, a, I think he had a Ford Ta or, a, or a Tahoe, Chevy Tahoe. Like he had a nice car. I was driving in an old 1992 Volkswagen Jetta. So I didn't like him, probably because I was jealous of him. One of the things I hated most about him is, uh, started wearing this shirt around campus to try to impress girls and the shirt said my name is on that building my name's on the building he wore it all the time Schaefer it said on the back he had the same hair he wore the same shades he walked around right my, and I used to be so mad at him but I get it now if my name was on the building I would have done the same thing and I just think that's like, listen, my God, he's in control. The Bible says that his name is above all other names. Well, guess what? My name's with his. I'm a co-heir with Christ. Everything he earned on that cross, I get for free because of the grace of God. I think we undervalue that too much. In fact, I started thinking about all the things we get. I, I put some of these on the, on the screen. I think they're so important. Uh, I have a God because of that to call Father. The Bible says that, that Jesus was getting baptized and from, from heaven that God said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Remember that part of scripture? So when I get adopted into the family of God and I become a perfect son of God, right, and I'm a co-heir, guess what he tells, tells me? I have a God to call Father. He's proud of me. I, I have a God who calls me his child. I was loved by him since before there was time. He sought me and paid a ransom for me before I did one thing to deserve it. I love that. Here's where it gets good. He never gives up on me. I don't even know what this means, but I like it. I don't even like apples, right? But I'm the apple of his eye. Sounds good. Sounds like a tattoo for one of you, right? I'm an apple of his eye. I have access to the throne of grace. I like this one. I have a seat at the table of heaven. You ever been somewhere when you're like older, you're like 20, and you're still sitting at the kids' table? You're like, when am I going to get out of the kids' table? You're like, when you get married, right? Have kids. You're a kid. You, you have a seat at the table of God. You have a preferred seat. I have a seat at the table of God. Here's, here's why I like it. I matter to God. I have a destiny. I am somebody. I have God-given gifts because of all that. Remember last week when we said, uh, we said, I'm going to be okay. You remember that? Could you feel that in the room when we said it? I could. 
Maybe you don't feel those things. Eight o'clock service, I said it, they just looked at me. By second service, you could feel the tangible uh, stress relief in saying that. Not I'm okay because of me, but I'm okay because of God. By third service, I could, I could hear, I could hear tears. I could hear, just by saying a profound, I'm, I'm okay. I'm gonna be okay. All right? Here's another one that's really important. Everybody put your hand on your, your heart in Montgomeryville here. And just say this, say, say I matter. That feels good. I matter. I, I'm, I'm somebody. I have a destiny. Why? Because I'm a child of God. In fact, years ago, I listened to this, this song. It was a Sunday afternoon. And uh, I, I'll tell you, I'll, I'm just... It was so bad on Sunday afternoon, I was waiting in, in a Pizza Hut parking lot to get pizza. That's how bad my Sunday was. Like, you don't go to Pizza Hut if you're doing good, right? And so, so I was at Pizza Hut, and it was a Sunday, and I got to tell you, I was depressed. I, was, uh, I felt bad. I preached bad. I, I, I didn't perform well. I didn't want to do this again. I didn't want to come back to work on Monday. I'm going to eat pizza. I'm going to get stuffed crust. I'm going to drown my sorrows in stuffed crust. I'm going to go to bed in my sweatpants. And I don't know how, I don't know if I was sitting in the parking lot waiting for my order to be ready, but I was on Facebook and somebody posted this song um, called No Longer Slaves. It was years ago. And I hooked it up to my Bluetooth in my car and I played it through and I sat in the parking lot in tears. It just, it just, the song is all about how you're, you're a child of God. And it just, I'm, I'm talking, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I challenge you, read Romans 8. And then when you're done reading Romans 8 every day this week, go to that song, go to Apple, go to, go, to, go to Spotify, go to Amazon Music, go to YouTube if you don't pay for it and you're cheap, whatever one you do, right? And just either listen to it, watch it, whatever you want, and just listen to the words. I've been adopted into the family of God because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Because of that, he's called me son. Because of that, I refer to him as, as Abba Father. He's close to me. Because of that, I have an inheritance. I'm a co-heir with Christ. I, I challenge you, do a little research into that. What that looks like in, in your name. I, I want everything that Jesus has for my life. Every victory that he earned, I want it. Anybody else? I want the authority, I want the ability, I want the power, I, I want everything that Jesus has for me. I'm a co-heir with Christ. I'm a child of God. I've been adopted. Would you stand to your feet? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to bring this thing in for a landing. Your homework, I gave it to you. Uh, dive into Romans 8 every day. Read it, write Write it down. Here's what the Lord's speaking to me. Listen to this song, No Longer Slaves. Let God develop this in you. It'll change your life forever. Maybe as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, you would just ask the Holy Spirit to begin to do a work, a deep work in your life. And maybe as you, you sit there and you, and you, and you say that, um, theologians love Romans chapter eight, but the truth is the entire book of Romans is powerful tells us the exact story of God. It tells us in Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I love it because in church you can tend to have the good people and the bad people. You can even see it. 
What politics do you believe? What, 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 where do you land here? What do you think here? How did you act here? What's your family like? And you have, you, you, you have good and bad people, but the Bible says there's only bad people. There's only lost people. For everyone sins and falls short of, the glory, of, of short of the glory of God. Then it says, the wages of our sin is death and hell. That's the bad news. That's why the Bible says that the gospel is good news because there's bad news. The bad news is you live in sin and the wages of your sin is death and hell. That means when you take your last breath on this side of eternity and you stand before a righteous, holy God, you're not good enough. There's not an argument or a case that gets you into heaven. The Bible says you'll fall short of the glory of God and the wages of your sin is death and hell. But, the Bible says, Paul said it in Romans, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. For anyone who calls on his name shall be saved. For if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. That's the gospel. That's how you become a child of God. He's given up everything to get to you. I want you to see yourself. If you, you saw that picture on social media or on the news this week, I want you to see yourself in that picture. See yourself. Put yourself there. That's you before Christ. All sorts of accusations. On the run, hiding, shame-filled, bloody. The crowd saying, you deserve it. Here's all the wrong things you've done. And here's the thing about it, they were right. And in that moment, Jesus steps in. And he takes your death, he takes your sentence, and you walk free. You walk in grace, you walk in freedom, and in that moment you become a child of God, adopted into his family forever. It's a beautiful picture if you see it. So let me just ask you, as I'm talking, do you know God? Do you have a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ? It's deeper than just knowing God. I hear people say all the time, yeah, I know God, I believe in God. Okay, that's great. The Bible says in James, even the demons know that. Like they know Jesus is God. What, what, what I want to know is have you accepted Jesus' sacrifice on that cross for you? Have you repented? Have you turned away from your sin in your old life? And have you turned towards him and told him, not only do I receive you, but I'm going to follow you from this day forward. If you call on his name, he'll save you. Only, it's like a, you're at a table. This is how I always see it. Jesus is on the one side. He has a gift of salvation. He slid it across the table to you right now. With any gift, your responsibility is to take it. I'm going to receive the gift of salvation by faith today. I'm going to call on the name of Jesus. I'm going to be adopted into the family of God. If you don't know him, but you need to today, I want to pray with you as we close. Nobody's looking around. Prayer is not going to be long-winded or super religious. It's going to be simple. Jesus Christ, would you be my Lord and my Savior? Today, I'm going to put my faith, my hope, and my trust in you. When you do that, everything about your life changes. I'm going to pray this prayer in faith. I don't have a relationship with God, but I want one. If you're in this place, you don't know him. As we close in prayer, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. If you're in Montgomeryville and you don't know him, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Nobody's looking around. You deal with your own stuff. Think about your own life. Focus on God. Uh, 
go deeper in your understanding of scripture, but right now, you're not even there. You need a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Right now, all over this place, you don't know him, but you need to. Would you just simply slip your hand straight in the air and say, hey, you've been talking to me right now. I need Jesus Christ to heal me, forgive me, and make me whole. There's some hands over here. Is there anybody else? There's a hand right here. anybody else who would say, hey, pastor, that's maybe you're in Montgomeryville, and uh, you know I'm not in that room with you, but they're going to let me know right here in Phoenixville that you responded. Maybe, maybe you're still here, and you go, man, I don't know Christ, but I need to. I missed that first one, uh, but I want you to know that I'm praying today. I want to ask Jesus into my life. Anybody else that would say, that's me? Would you pray with me all over our houses? Uh, we pray together. We're a family, so say something like this together. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I believe in you, and from this day forward, I'm going to follow you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your victory on that cross and over that grave. Jesus, today, I'm yours. And Lord, as we, as we celebrate that all over this house, Lord, would you do a deep work in somebody's life? Lord, there's a lot of people I meet that have father issues. They have father issues. This message is extremely hard for them to, to accept and for them to understand. And I think that's by design. I think Satan loves to corrupt and help us to misinterpret our understanding of what it looks like to have God as a perfect father. And so I pray right now that you would bring a healing in all of our lives and a deeper desire to know you. Lord, your love will change us. Lord, our, 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 our part, being a part of your family, will set us free. It'll bring peace and joy and hope uh, and understanding that you're in control and that you love us more than we can even imagine. Lord, we thank you for that. God, continue to work over these next few days in our lives. Lord, as you develop in us hope, Lord, we're able to bring hope to other people because of you. We love you, and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' good name we pray all over this house. Let's shout amen one more time together. Let's clap together one more time. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message, or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.